1: It's a grim picture, y'all. Just check out the numbers. Using a typical success rate, 11 to 26 public land hunters out of 100 are going to kill an elk this year. 85 to 90% of those people are the guys and girls consistently getting it done. That means for most of you, especially all you guys and gals heading out west for the first time, according to those statistics, only two to four of you out of 100. Are going to kill an elk on public land this year. Is that really your reality? You know what we say to that? We say screw the statistics. Listen close and understand something. You and you alone create your reality. In this episode, as your elk hunting coaches, we're going to talk about beating those odds. We talk about statistics, crowds, we look at all the possible negatives, the excuses out there, and how they are all really just opportunities in disguise. Those topics, as well as our weekly shout outs. So friends, like my brother Gilbert always says, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk
2: Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by elkgrows.com. With your host, Gilbert Nellis and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
1: Hello again everyone. If this is your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show today and for all you blue collar grinders out there who are always following our show, Welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Joe Gillia, and to my left, my lifelong hunting partner and brother, Leroy Chavez. We call him Chav. <laughs> You've probably noticed that our usual host, Gilbert Ornelas, the big O, old dead eye himself, is missing today. So, Chav and I are going to try to fill in, and those are some big shoes to fill. So, just bear with us today. And it's going to be kind of tough with Gilbert because can't nobody tell a story like that. Yeah, nobody can tell a story like Gilbert. So, (laughs) yeah,
2: definitely going to miss him. Yeah.
1: So we look forward to having Gilbert back next week. So we're going to go ahead and get our party started today with our Elk Bros shout outs. So if you're new to the show, these are the shout outs to just a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. We like to go in, we look as soon as uh, our show comes out each week, and we look for those top five cities out there uh, that are the listeners coming in big. And we try to find those cities that uh, are new to the show and, and give us a bunch of listeners. So, topping the chart this week, originally known as Cane Island, this city started out as the hunting ground for the Karankawa indian tribe and was home to great herds of buffalo big flocks of wild ducks geese sandhill cranes and other game birds as well as longhorn cattle longhorn cattle deer and wolves katie texas in the house
2: yeah isn't that where uh uh, louise is from that's where louise is from that area over there
1: yeah in fact um i think we told the story how that one year they had the big giant flood yeah and these guys did not even have an elk tag they had no opportunity to hunt elk and they're still calling us saying you know if we get a bear tag if we get a turkey tag can we come into elk camp and they're sending photos from katie texas and he um He's got seven foot of water around his house and he's in his garage packing up saying that he wasn't going to miss out camp <laughs> that year. And all of them made it through that hurricane.
2: Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, pretty crazy. Okay, up next, you might get directions using touch de- Touchdown Jesus as a landmark. Find a local brew at Wooden Legs. Climb the 180 steps of the Campanelli or take part in the 100-year tradition of Hobo Day. In Brookings, South Dakota. Brookings, South Dakota. Yeah, it kind of confused me there because I thought Touchdown Jesus was in South Bend, Indiana also. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame, you know. Oh, yeah.
1: They <laughs> yeah, had the Touchdown Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what people actually use that in their town. They use it uh, for directions there. You know, hmm. Go down, get by Touchdown Jesus, take a right. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> so, yeah, it must be something that everybody knows. Uh, up next, this town is home to... Ole Miss University is known as the cultural mecca of the South, and for only $5, y'all, you can ride the Flying Tuck. The Flying Tuck. Flying yeah, that's a little comedic. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> An open electric car that will take you anywhere within a two-mile radius of the town square or Ole Miss cam- campus. Oxford, Mississippi. Oxford. Huh? Oxford. Thanks, Oxford. Just great having you guys out there listening.
2: Okay, an estimated 500 resident moose call this city home. And during the winter, the sunrise and sunset are pretty much the same thing because the sun is only up for four to five hours. All right,
1: before you say this city now, they said moose, 500 resident. We know we're talking up north someplace. And, uh, you know, uh, it's got to be either Canada or Alaska, right? Yep, you got it. Fairbanks, Alaska. Fairbanks, Alaska. Hey, Alaska, thanks for coming on, man. There were only two states that we were waiting to get onto our podcast. It was Rhode Island, which is also on now, and Alaska. So Fairbanks, we're pumped to have you guys there, man. Um, Last but not least, named for the fifth president of the U.S., this city has an agricultural history and was part of the White Hills Purchase that transferred land from the Pagaset? You think that's how that said Pagaset? Pagaset oh. Indians. It's Monroe, Connecticut. Hmm. Another east coast, northeast coast state there. Uh, thanks, Monroe. Nice to have you in the house. So um, before we move on, we also wanted to thank all of you that have rated us on iTunes. I think Chav and I were just talking and it was about how many uh, ratings we had, something like Thirty-five,
2: yeah, about 40. thirty-five. Good number, but you know, we'd like to hear from all of you. You know that hunting season's coming closer and closer, so don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, and
1: you know, to get those five-star ratings, thirty-five of them on iTunes, that's huge for us. And it really um, tells us that you're getting something of value from us. So we sure appreciate that. And we're going to give a huge <clears throat> Elk Pro shout out and thank you to a few listeners that uh, have left some great reviews for us. and um guys and gals when you do leave a review please guys include your first name and state so we can recognize you we we really we're real big on family we do this whole thing because uh you know this is kind of our brotherhood we really want to keep it personal and we want to thank all you guys that recognize us so we want to recognize you first up uh eric clark from wisconsin uh Eric, thank you so much. Eric is also the host of the Where to Hunt podcast mm-hmm. um that we just did with the Whitetail series. And we had it both play on his and we we actually played it on ours. Uh I think it was a week before last week. Uh so Eric, uh thanks guy for the the kind words that you gave. Chris from Massachusetts. Chris, Chris says he feels like he's cheating listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Hey, that's cool, man. That means means he's learning something. He's learning something, right? He's he's definitely getting some value. Uh, Raphael from Texas. And I'm not sure if Raphael is one of those Katy Texas boys because he says that he's listened to all of our episodes. And yet, uh, in fact, he's learning to call with a diaphragm call. He's got three diaphragm calls. He said, he's not sure if what he's making right now are real cow elk sounds. But he says he really has, he doesn't have an elk tag. He doesn't have a hunting partner. He doesn't even have any current plans to go elk hunting. Hmm. He just uh, got so pumped listening to uh, our podcast that, You know, he wanted to just send in and tell us how excited it is that he's getting ready. And hopefully, uh, one day he's going to change that and he's going to head to the mountains. We also want to thank Mark Newman from Indiana, Zach Ryswick from Idaho, and we have Z Wellesley. And I'm going to guess that Z is Zach. There's not a whole lot of Z's out there. Zeb, you know, (laughs) could be, you know, but uh, uh, I'm taking a chance, Mr. Wellesley, that it's Zach. Uh, He said that. He has never hunted elk before and him and three of his buddies are after listening and stuff, are, they're just going to take off and go for it next year. So, um, you know, if you heard us on our last one and we were talking about, you know, uh, from whitetail hunting to elk hunting, that's one thing that we encourage guys is that if this is something that you want to do, go out and do it. Don't, let there be things that are going to keep obstacles in your way you can do this and you go out and you get that experience the first time it's a life changer
2: right you know yeah go for it you know you never know what's going to happen and you never know if we're going to be here tomorrow, so, <laughs> you yeah, know, go for it. Heck, yeah. Right. YOLO, right? Right, YOLO.
1: Yeah. For you guys who don't know that, uh, you only live once. And the funniest compliment that we got, Chav, came out of Durango. Uh, didn't get a name. Durango, <laughs> Colorado. Uh, uh, I hope we get one, but it, it was awesome because uh, it was very complimentary and said great stuff, even though one bro is a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> they're playing on you, Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, uh, and actually, we got more than one bro that's a Texan because uh, we have the Venezuela mafia, but uh, those guys do reside in Texas over there, um, one of them in Dallas and one in Katy, Texas, so right. they're a little spread out. So. I want to thank all of you guys for your your reviews. And for the rest of you, if you go to give us a review, you have to do that on iTunes. You're not able to do it in any of the other podcast apps. So uh, we really appreciate it if you take the time. Go ahead and give us a review. Let us know what you think. It really tells us that we're doing the right thing for you guys. And if you have any questions, and I mean the questions are rolling in. Now, I'm about a week behind on answering, so if you guys have sent some questions in to me, my wife and I, Loretta, uh, we just celebrated our 37th anniversary, and we took a cruise to the Bahamas, and we were totally out of pocket. We couldn't get anything from anybody. So I got home last night. We got everything ready to record today. I'm just starting to go through letters and emails now, and we have a whole bunch of viewers' questions that that's pretty much what our next podcast is going to be. We're going to base our topic on that again, and then we're going to do Q&A with those other questions. Yeah, that'll be –
2: I think that'll be a really good uh, podcast because, you know, the season is quickly approaching, and there's probably a lot of pertinent questions Oh, yeah. And I think we we might be able to help you out there. So, uh, you know, and don't be afraid. You know, any question is not a dumb question. Yeah, well, last time you told me no dumb
1: questions, (laughs) right? (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the other thing, I I know I saw one of them, and and it was something I would have never thought about. And one of the person was asking about uh, have we had any occurrences or interactions with, Uh, large predators while we're elk hunting you know have we ever been stalked by a bear or or a a cougar or anything like that so you have to stay tuned next week for that one because we do have a couple stories on that and it was an excellent question so we'll, we'll get we'll get on that next time so chav uh let's get into today's topic and uh today's topic's basically about you know we we brought up the stats at the beginning and we're talking about beating the odds and how the negatives and all those possible excuses for failure are just really in the right hands opportunities for those people that understand elk. That there's so many things that people can um, make excuses about. Right. And we're going to bring up those excuses here in a little bit. But this topic actually came from Instagram. And um, basically the comment was that we should be telling our listeners to lower their expectations that the success rate is extremely low. The cost is extremely high and the woods are full of hunters everywhere behind every tree. And that, you know, according to that reality uh, for the hunters going out there this year, they should understand that your, your outlook is, Pretty doggone bleak. So, <laughs> so how do you feel about that?
2: Well, you know, uh, sometimes the statistics speak for themselves, and I know in, in our case, when you well using Gilbert as an example, and then myself, right. But starting with Gilbert, um, you know, it, it took him a couple of years before he connected, right. And if uh, memory serves me right, uh, the last three years that he had a license, he killed one. Right. So uh, that experience factor is real important because, uh, you know, a lot of it's trial and error. And even though you were guiding him uh, some of those years that he did not get one, uh, a lot of it was not being ready at at the right time or not positioning himself right. Right. So a lot of it was just, uh, and of course, you know, he did have a, a problem with weight, which he overcame.
1: And that and, was huge. Actually. Yeah, that was
2: really big. Yeah. So, you know, those factors led up. Uh, to him being very successful the last uh, four or five years, right? And uh, with myself, you know, I I look, I look back and uh, I try to uh, go back my memory memory banks, and uh, I came up with uh, I think I've killed close to eighteen either a cow or a, or a bull elk, right? And I know the first two, three, maybe up to four years, I didn't I didn't kill one. Um, had opportunities, I had opportunities, and uh. I also shot four that I was not able to find, you know, and that will happen also. But when you look at the percentages, that's uh, well over 50%. And most of the time I was with you. And those years that I did not get one, I did have at least one or two opportunities during the hunt. And, again, that was just experience. You know, the the more you learn trial and error, uh, the better you get at it. Well,
1: some of that, too, though, was – you staying within your, your skill set, too, because there were animals that I remember you not taking shots at that I'd have laid down, yeah. you know. Uh, at that point in time, you didn't feel comfortable past 25, 30 yards. Right. So you weren't shooting that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had animals at 35, 40 yards that – um you know, I, I would have definitely taken a yeah, shot Yeah, I can at.
2: remember uh, several being in the 40, 45-yard range, mm-hmm. and I wasn't comfortable uh, with my accuracy at that point. Plus, I wasn't exactly sure the range. I, I, I didn't have or didn't use a range finder. They, they, a we didn't lot. have them then. Yeah, we, yeah, we couldn't <laughs> afford them. Uh, that's one thing about Joe is is he's got a built-in range finder, which made it pretty easy. But if he wasn't close to me and, and uh, if you weren't, able to tell me okay that's 35 yard uh you know I'd have to pass up the shot because it could have been 45 right so you know a lot of that is uh you know circumstances but a lot of it is trial and error and you, you learn as you go so uh, you know I'm pretty uh optimistic when I get out on the field you know right. that, it, that it can happen you can't come in with a negative attitude because if you do it will happen you won't get anything
1: yeah and you know, when I'm thinking about you again out there, um, you know, you didn't have any of the calling skill sets at right. the time, Correct. you know, uh, you were have always been a stealthy hunter because, again, we started out as deer hunters. So we deer hunted together for years. So being able to move in on things and, and to take shots wasn't the issue. It was pretty much, like you said, it was just that experience. You, you, didn't, you weren't able to call and stop your own animals, things like that. It had to be uh, something that I had to do with you. But you did hunt on your own a lot and create opportunities. But you basically did it just stalking
2: in on animals. Yeah, I think uh, basically... Uh, Five or six, I I was by myself when I when I uh, right. sh- shot them. Yeah, uh, but a lot of it is too is, is getting off the roads and and getting into that thick stuff and not not be afraid to uh, venture away from uh, an established dirt road or, you know, uh, an area like that.
1: Right. So, you know, I kind of wanted on on my viewpoint. Um, you know, when I heard this come in from the guy on Instagram that basically i should be telling people to lower their expectations that success rate is low that the woods are full of hunters that you know that it's it's bleak i just look guys you need to understand something i'm just not built like that and i got news for you neither is chav um chav has been you know we have worked together both coaching and hunting for 30 some years and actually probably coached together longer than we did uh, hunt together yeah, because pr- yeah, we did that so. earlier. And as my mentor, um, this guy comes from, oh, well, small town USA. It's not tiny town Cimarron, but it's smaller town USA. And uh, he actually ran cross country on a national championship team, him and two other guys from his small town in cross country at the, uh, beating D1 level, the top D1 teams out there. So I don't think you've ever had a poor me or statistical or any of those type of attitudes. I don't think you're built like that to uh, to look for excuses.
2: No, you always look for the silver lining, even on a, on a bad day or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a bad year. And like I said, uh, our bad years, we still had opportunity. Sure. You know, those two years you didn't connect. You know, you had an opportunity, but things just didn't fall Right. Right. And, and those areas that I didn't get anything, uh, I still had opportunities, but you know, again, placement is important, you know, where you place your body as they're coming in and, uh, you know, those factors. And of course the, uh, whether or not they're within your, your, uh, range, right. What do you consider your range?
1: And I just, I just want y'all to know out there, I've just never been good about talking about what you can't do. And you're not going to hear that really from me. Uh, The one gift that I got from my father before he died was something he used to tell me every day. And it's my mantra. It's on things that I write on. You can talk to guys that I hunt with. They use it all the time because they hear me say it so much. And the one thing that my dad used to always tell me was where there's a will, there's a way. And I truly believe that because here's, here's my reality. I came to New Mexico As a backwoods boy from the Carolinas, had never seen an elk before in my life. I've hunted public land with a bow on poor man's wages, basically a college student, poor man's wages, and then the first year of marriage. My wife and I got married when we were 20, and uh, and then on an average Joe's salary literally an average salary. I hunted an area with a lot of hunters using the same equipment. I've used the same equipment for 10 to 15 years as far as my bow. And, um, the arrows have been upgraded because of one Gilbert Ornelas. He's a drug pusher, pushed that carbon on me. But, <laughs> uh, so we're doing that, but I've shot the same broadhead, um, you know, uh, camo as people have bought it for me, but equipment, I've stuck with the same thing 10 to 15 years. And, um, you know, most of the time back then, Chad, we did everything on on uh, bologna and peanut butter and jelly and Snickers, right. <laughs> Snickers bars yep. uh, out there. And yet, I've taken 33 elk in the last 35 years on state land. Now, I know a bunch of you guys are going, well, how'd you draw all those years? And I've got a lot of buddies that are wondering <laughs> that, too. But one of the secrets is, is we put in for an area that's real hard entry, um, rough country, low success rate in those areas and yet, uh, we make it happen. So, Mm -hmm. um, we would rather be elk hunting than not. So we kind of try to find those types of areas, but remember something, statistics are based on past results. You know, they're, they're, they can't predict the future and you are the, please understand that you And you alone create your own reality. Sure, there's all kinds of variables that you have to learn to deal with and things, you know, that the animal's going to do and other hunters and you have weather. But, you know, big deal. You are still in control of how you deal with that. I mean, when you take a look, did Fred Bear, Wayne Carlton, Larry D. Jones, Doug Walker, Dwight Shue, when you look at those guys that started all this stuff out, some of those early guys out there, that were doing things with the equipment that they had, um, not doing it with the stuff that's available today, they didn't make excuses. You know, they went out and got it done. And I kind of try to – I kind of refer to things as what I call – you've got to have what I call a unicycle mentality. And And what I mean by that is when I was a kid, I think I was 12 years old, my stepdad – I lost my real dad when I was 13. And my stepfather – brought a unicycle home to all six of us kids. And he set it out there and he basically said, well, I have this unicycle. If you guys want to learn to ride it, go ahead. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, um, nobody here will.
2: <laughs> so he, <laughs> he challenged you yeah, right off the yeah, bat, yeah.
1: yeah. He threw down that challenge, you know, and, uh, you know, I've just never been real good at, uh, saying that you can't do something. And, and that's what I mean is, By a unicycle mentality. You have to relish the challenge. You're gonna take your lumps and bumps. Uh, you're you gotta work at making progress, not excuses. I mean, honestly, out of us six kids, everybody tried it out. We were all fighting for turns and doing all that. People fall down, people bump their I mean, the unicycle's real Mm -hmm. tough on your ankle bones. No, I can imagine. I mean it just rakes them up. You get all cut up. And after a while, it, you know, it went from six to four of us to two of us. And I was the last one, uh, working that. And, you know, you can make excuses as to why oh, I was too hard, or there's no way I'm going to do this or why I'm even learning it. What am I going to do with that? But you find a way you do what other people have given up on days ago. And that's what I mean by that unicycle mentality. And, you know, if you relish those forget about what the stats are guys, because, because you're listening to something like this, because of what you have on the World Wide web, the things that you can walk, you know, going out there at uh, Corey Jacobson and elk one Oh one out there, you know, uh, watching the born and raised guys out there. Um, so many opportunities to be able to learn stuff. Uh, and, you can take and flatten that learning curve out. So, uh, are the cards stacked against you? Only if you let them be. I still, like you said, you still go in the woods with confidence when you go out there.
2: Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Like like Joe said, with all the technology available today, uh, and uh, you know you can actually go out there with uh, some experience, at least mentally, when you get out there. And then, you know, with all the new developments with uh, GPSs and stuff, that that makes a huge difference. I mean, back in the day, you know, uh, once nightfall came along and and you're looking for your trail with your flashlight, everything looks the same. right? Uh, So, you know, I would always head back to camp, you know, an hour before – the uh, sun went down and yeah. it got dark. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know if I'd make it back to camp. Right. You and, you were losing out on yeah, that. Yeah. And actually, the last hour to half hour of daylight is probably the best time in the afternoon. Uh, likewise, in the morning, you know, if you're not hearing anything or seeing anything, you got to get out early in the dark and do some calling. Sure. And, and that's probably the best time to hear anything. You know, the woods are still... It's, it's, uh, sound carries really well. And, uh, if you can hear at least a bugle or a cow call, you know, you can get yourself in position to be successful, but you got to get up early. I mean, we're talking, you know, three thirty, four o'clock, sure, just to get dressed up and, and ready to move out there. So, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta take chances and the GPS comes in handy again.
1: Um, it has totally changed the game and we're going to come before uh, I go too far. I want to make sure, cause I gave you guys some resources out there, some other names to remember and go check out. Randy Newberg is phenomenal. Randy has been doing this stuff for years. Uh, Randy, I still have you on H by the way though. Um, another one, I think it's Chris Rowe that's doing, you know, he's a biologist that has done some incredible things out there. Uh, I, I really love Paul Medell stuff as well. Um, Michael Batiste. If you haven't listened to Michael Batiste uh, and looking into his um, Elk Academy, then then you're missing out. He does a Wapiti Wednesday live uh, every week, and he's just phenomenal. I've I've got a chance to to meet and talk with uh, with Michael, and he's just a great guy. So there's some more of those resources, guy. You. Listen and learn from anything and everything you can. You know, uh, here we are (laughs) telling you, go listen to all these other guys as well. And the reason that is, is because we are elk hunting coaches. And it's about you being successful. So um, the more you know, the more you know.
2: Yeah, if if you're going to be a successful hunter, uh, you know, it's like being a successful coach. You know, we were very successful in trying to field but we stole the good ideas from everybody, and likewise, and fast, <laughs> yeah, and fast, and likewise, we're we're getting we're giving you other uh, people that you can listen to, so you can form your own opinion. But also at the same time, your your uh, your knowledge of elk hunting is, is just getting bigger and bigger, and that'll right. help you out when you get out there.
1: Just build that database, man. I mean, that's all you got to do. Is, right. The the more of this knowledge that you soak in, and and we're going to talk about things as we keep going and going with that so let's get back on topic and um i, I know you were talking about the gps and you were talking about how that is changing and, and really honestly to me that was one of the biggest game changers out there and you know we talk about the gps and our gps that we use today we use our cell phone and uh, we use on x maps on our cell phone for 30 bucks And I believe, listen, I I bet uh, you could probably use bro, B-R-O as a code from uh, born and raised out there. Uh, and I know I just listened to another podcast of somebody else that, uh, that has a code to probably get you 15 or 20% off on that. So if you go listen to some of these other guys, you're <clears throat> going to be able to get some of those promotional codes that will actually get that $30 cheaper, but for 30 bucks and the material and the data you get, it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, we're firm believers and, um, uh, we do not, we are not sponsored by Onyx, uh, they know that we want to help people, so they help us help y'all, okay? So, back on subject, you know, big question is, we, we, we told you how to beat the crowds, so how do you beat the crowds? And there's something that I want to go, we're going to go back to the stats, all right? And there's a part out of that that I, I want you to double check that you heard. Whatever the success rate is for an area generally 85 to 90 percent of those animals of that 25 percent of that 14 percent of that 30 Mm percent 85 to 90 percent of those animals are consistently taken by the same people year after year for example you taking 16 elk out of an area 50 percent right uh me taking 33 out of 35 uh so that's what they're saying by that and I want you to hear that because if if you see the stats, you believe the stats and they are from the past and they're telling you why, what are these people doing that is making them so successful? Okay. And that's kind of, um, that's something that I really want to drive on is that, There are. I mean, you go to Colorado. Colorado has one of the largest herds of elk there is, but it also has the largest amount of hunters in that area. But you still have guys every year being successful in there. Mm -hmm. You you take New Mexico. Our average archery success rate across our state last year was 26%. So that means that over a quarter of the people out in the woods – were were taking an elk last year okay so we have very crowded areas because even though we have a lot of we have a lot of national forests we have a, a lot of public land in our state uh you know a lot of those areas do get a big influx of hunters the area that chav and i hunt generally most places that we go are going to have and I hear I hear a question from you guys. What about if there's too much ATV access? Our, our mm. area always has a
2: lot of ATV access. Yeah. I think we have some hunters that basically that's how they hunt. Is on ATV. You know, they're just on ATV around. hoping to see uh, an elk just right. by the side of the road. And, you know, sometimes it happens. So, you sure. know, that's how they hunt.
1: But the the point is, is that it, it is crowded. Um, so... There are things you can do either to get away from the crowds or in our case, we don't worry about the crowds. And we're going to talk about why. So what makes these other people successful? First of all, they go where others don't. They forget the trailheads. They Basically, they stop at some areas on those um, forest roads without getting to a trailhead and they're bailing off. And most of the time, they're going to bail off uh, into those drainages that have really solid north, northeast, thick areas that are going to have some drainage, have some water, going to have the coverings, going to have the feed. And they know if they have that in there, and most people are on those trailheads, that they're most likely walking by animals that are only 800 yards or uh, a mile right. off the road. mm mm-hmm. You know, which happens with us a lot, right? Even in crowded areas, most of these people are going right by elk, right? Yeah,
2: so, uh, you know, there's a, you know, we talked about people driving around, but there's also people uh, walking the, uh, uh, the different roads out there, right? And there's a lot of uh, roads that are made to uh, help logging uh, and log- fire logging and firefighting. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of roads a lot of old roads i'm sure just about anywhere in the in the southwest right so a lot of people will hunt uh uh, just walking the roads i mean it's comfortable Mm -hmm. i mean you're not going to get lost right right. and uh but you got to make that effort to get off the roads
1: exactly so it's kind of like this um as track coaches uh we always try to get kids to go from just wanting to run the 100-meter dash to becoming hurdlers. And the reason we did that was everybody in the state wanted to run the 100-meter dash. It was easy. It was fast. It was comfortable, right? It didn't hurt. But you get kids and you put a barrier in the way, and all of a sudden you take and limit all that competition down to about 10%. Right.
2: Uh Uh, Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. You go to a track meet and you have like 10 heats of the 100 where you only have like three of the hundred meter hurdles of the
1: hurdles. Right. Yeah.
2: So it's uh you, you limit your competition. Exactly. Actually.
1: And, and that's exact things that happen in all these areas. A lot of people are staying on the trails, on the ATV roads, um, at the trailheads, and they're walking and going where they're comfortable, where they're not going to get lost and they don't get off and they don't bail off out of those areas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where they're actually going to have better opportunities. So,
2: it's probably 10%. Right. And, and what makes it even probably even less sometimes is the fact that, uh, they won't do it till daylight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not going to get in a trailhead, trailhead till I can see where I'm walking. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, they've eliminated, uh, you know, a lot of time that there could have possibly been elk the way they're going through, but they're already gone.
1: Right. No, you're exactly right. Um, a lot of times they'll hear animals bugling and and you hear this all the time, guys saying, well, as soon as I call, they started running away. And it's not, they were running away. They were already going to their bedding area
2: Exactly, and they
1: were moving away from them. So, um, so if you're going to go where others don't forget the trailheads. stop and bail off, get off the roads, get in between them. Also, If you are going to use a trailhead, find the holes in that sweet spot zone. In other words, most people are going to hunt anywhere from the trailhead to a mile in. And then you have those people that figure, well, I'm going to get in deep. So I'm going to get in there four or five miles in. So I'm in basically by myself in wilderness and come to find out everybody has that same idea. So generally, there is a sweet spot between that trailhead if you are going to use that as a main hike in and where everybody's at and you just kind of determine it's generally after that first mile mile and a half and then before that five mile you know four or five mile range out there and that leaves a lot of country in there with a lot of elk so um the other thing is wilderness areas it seems to me that wilderness areas are the magnet that everybody's like, well, I want a wilderness experience. So a lot of outfitters end up heading up in there. And a lot of guys will hike or get somebody to do a drop thing with them into those wilderness areas. So a lot of times, not always, it depends on that time of year. Um, Some people don't like to hunt the first hunt, they want to hunt the second hunt. Um, You know, when it's closer to that Uh, that prime time. But uh, a lot of times those get to be the areas where most people flock to. So if you find those public areas that are outside the wilderness on those fringes, they can really be productive. You still got to do some work to get into those, but from the middle of those wilderness, wherever those camp areas are towards those edges, most people don't get to, they're actually pushing them off sometimes into that. So, That's something for you guys to think about. The other thing is you need to do what others won't. And that's what Chav was talking about. You know, we're in the woods generally two hours before gray light. Definitely no later than one hour before gray light. Uh uh, Because we're out there in the dark trying to locate animals. And when we're locating, I always start out with a cow call but I do the cow call through my grunt tube first of all cow with cow call without it and then I do it through my grunt tube and I believe especially in that early season hunt that when you use a grunt tube and you do a cow call it's more like a a bow call in other words a bull elk you know it's usually a a bull mew because that grunt tube gives that little bit deeper resonance inside there and those bulls they do mute to each other out there. And uh, I've had bulls in that early part of the season come in and I don't, you know, part of me is uh, debating whether or not they really think that that's a cow or another bull just because mm-hmm. of, you know, they're, they're still bacheloring right, at yeah. that time. Yeah.
2: It could be either. Mm-hmm. It could be either, but you know, you will get a response, you know, a in, lot in the of dark. times, right in the dark. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, so our goal is, is that we're wanting to move in. So um, the other two things is we want to, we might get in by dark, but if you can get out and if you haven't located, you can get out there and you can night bugle, locate some of those other animals. And here's a huge one. If there's a lot of crowds out there, I guarantee you they're out of a hundred hunters. You probably have a very tiny percent that are hunting during midday most guys go back to camp
2: yeah yeah i don't know if it's an old wives' tale or not but uh i would say 90 percent of hunters head back oh yeah head back at 10 o'clock
1: yep And, and really so many elk uh if if you get on those animals in the morning and you hear them moving away shadow those animals go with them get up into those bedding areas make sure that you parallel them Off to the side, you want to be on the downwind, away from those thermals going up. So you want to parallel them almost to the same level that they're up. And that keeps you in good position so that once they get bedded, all you got to wait is till about 11 noon, between 11 and 1 o'clock, those bulls will come off. They've got their cows bedded, and it is prime time for taking an animal. So um, hunting those animals in the midday, is a great opportunity where you have crowds. Uh, another thing is recognize what others have not. In other words, all the variables out there that are determined in elk's actions and reactions, you got to be able to recognize those variables and how it affects the animals. The sun, the moon the water, amount of it, the not having water, uh, the feed, the cover, the time of year and the pressure. If you recognize those elements and you put them together with the time of year and what the animals are doing, it's really going to help you to do uh, and be in the best position, especially before a lot of those other guys. But I, I think you said the, the prime one is, is, is the early bird gets a worm.
2: All right. Yep. exactly. Yeah,
1: you know, make sure that you're out there because most of the time, I, I have I, I specifically can remember um, getting on a bull in the dark, uh, right as it got to be shooting light. Got in between him and his cows, shot the bull at twelve yards. I'm actually skinning the bull out. I'm probably not. I'm not a hundred yards from an ATV trail, and and it's it's a good. 30 minutes after daylight and I hear all the ATVs coming down the trail mm-hmm. and I'm actually skinning out an animal and they're pu- 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 going <laughs> right by me. Never saw me, never saw me cleaning the bull. Right. Uh, five different ATVs drove by me and never saw what was going on. So
2: and Yeah, I can also remember a time that we were on a herd and they were feeding in front of us and a couple of ATVs came right by, you know, mm-hmm. within a hundred yards. Right, and all the elk did was look up and put their heads back down, so they're not uh, always as shook as a lot of hunters think they are. You know, no, that's exactly or, right. Or real skitty. I know we had we had a friend that said if you spook them, they're going to be three counties over. <laughs> right. If that were true, uh, the elk would run out of territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, they got to go somewhere, and they just can't leave the whole area. You know, because right. they'll be they'll be running the whole time.
1: Yeah. No, it, yeah, it definitely doesn't happen. We've had animals that have spooked that have actually spooked back, and then they kind of go around the edges and end up going around whatever spooked them and meeting on the other side, going in the direction right. they wanted to go. So, no, you're totally right. They're not always as jumpy as as you think. You know, we, I think we've told several times about, you know, we had that one morning that we killed two bulls, should have had three down, and, oh yeah. Uh, yes. It was within easily within a mile of a designated camping area.
2: Mm-hmm. That everybody exactly. everybody left. That everybody left to go hunt somewhere else. Right. And uh, you know I should have had three down, and I think everybody had would have had an opportunity too. You know there were opportunities. Hey down. guys,
1: elk are incredibly adaptable you know, I'm sure, and if you don't live in elk country, just talk to people, have a bunch of us, we drive and we see elk on the side of the road. Um, Mm -hmm. Gosh, I just saw some just the other morning, there were five bulls and they weren't 50 yards off the road in the reeds on the side, uh, all the time. And, um, you know, there's people that, have had them in their backyard. There's towns that have elk inside their towns. So if elk are that jumpy, if they're that skittish, you know, there's no way you would ever see them in those areas. Right. But uh, they adapt to the yeah, situation. Yeah, we
2: came back from, uh, what, Denver International mm-hmm. Airport uh, from a trip that we took, and there, there was an elk herd in a subdivision. I mean, they are running around. Right. But uh, but in the houses. But in that between houses and stuff, <laughs> yeah. it was crazy in the middle of the day, no yeah. less. Yeah. You know,
1: so. Yeah, and y- you'll see you'll see them bed down in mm-hmm. areas like that. Uh, in our yard, we have, you know, we have uh, uh, buck deer bedded in our yard all the time. Mm-hmm. Now you come up against them out in the woods, out there we're wearing camouflage, they're gone. But right. you know, uh, so that's what I'm saying <clears> is that when you hunt in crowded areas. Don't think just because you've come across another hunter, or because you've come in across another camp, that's all lost in that area because it's not. And even when you run into other hunters, how many times have we run into guys that, you know, we've been in elk all morning screaming, had encounters, and we bump into hunters, different groups of hunters, yeah. and, and they say, they've never seen anything, haven't seen anything or heard anything. Yeah,
2: you can take advantage of excuses. There's a lot of excuses, you know, why they can't find something. But, uh, you know, for every excuse, there's the other side to it. Definitely. For example, if it's really windy, well, you can stalk them. Right. You know, get closer to them.
1: So, yeah, that was one of the (coughs) topics, guys, that we were going to talk about is that – Sure. There's, there's. You can take any situation, and you can make it into a negative. You, you, we've all heard the old thing has been used so much to take lemons and make lemonade, right? Well, like Chab just said, you know, you used to do an excuse T-shirt for track athletes too, you know,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> it was too hot, it was too cold, it was too windy, it wasn't windy yeah. enough, you know, one probably of those, a hundred, too.
2: a hundred different excuses. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: so you go out, and and it's windy. You know, you're not able to hear real well. But, gosh, that is a great condition for stalking in on an animal, especially if you have a good, strong wind coming out of one direction. Uh, it's hard for them to notice movement. Uh, it's hard for them to hear. So super situation for a stock. You just got to get out there and you got to change your tactics a little bit. You just got to work. You got to smell them out. You check, check for sign, mm-hmm. move to those bedding areas. Um, try to get where you can spot them early <clears> in the morning. <throat> if it's windy and you can't hear anything, Get some place to spot so that you can locate them right at sunrise in a feed area and put the stock on those puppies, all right?
2: Yeah, but, if you can smell them, you know, just head in that direction, you know, really slow, but, right. you know, you can stock them then. That's another excuse. Oh, uh, well, you know, sometimes it's too hot. <laughs> too
1: hot. <laughs> you know, and I've heard people say that uh, the animals aren't rutting because it's too hot. And... Uh, let me let you guys know something. There, there's two things that that go with that. Is that the equinox is what determines the rut. A, a cow elk coming in heat is what determines the rut. So it, it has. If it was strictly because of how hot or how cold it was, um, then elk down in southern New Mexico, down in those sage flats, would never go into rut. And <laughs> right. and they're going berserk down there. You know, so um, that has nothing to do with it. What it does have to do with is how much time they're going to feed and be active at night versus during the day. And um, you know, but still, if it's too hot, night bugle, be on them at sunrise hunt the trees and, and especially in the afternoon, instead of waiting for them to come down to their feed areas, to those open parks, you find the transitions in the trees between their bed and between where they want to be at the parks so that you're in them in the shade where they're moving around. They're probably feeding in those trees. Yeah. Where they're
2: transitioning Mm -hmm. and then find the water, you know, that's, you know, if it's hot and it's dry Find that water.
1: Midday Wallers is a
2: great opportunity. Right, right. Yeah, we told you several times about the, our experience with a, a, a herd coming in uh, right at right at noon. Noon, one o'clock. One o'clock, ninety five yeah. degrees. Ninety five. I mean, we're dying, but they're coming <laughs> down. So yeah, it happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard people say it's too dry, and and so we just talked about that with the water. Then they'll say it's too wet. Well, if it's too wet, they'll are really more dispersed so that really makes the hunters more dispersed so think about this in a lot of years when it's been difficult and it's been dry there are areas that elk haven't been in because they concentrated to where there was moisture now you have real wet years there can be holes that nobody has ever hunted because of all the bad years that now has more moisture. It hasn't been overgrazed. Um, It's an area that hasn't had hunters in it because they're not used to hunting those areas. So now, because it's a wetter year, you can find honey holes that people haven't hunted.
2: Yeah, good point.
1: Yeah. Um, The wind's at my back, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, this happens to us all day long, every day. It seems like it seems like every time we got we start to go into the wind, that next thing we know, you can feel it like yeah, oh. <laughs> it, it turns and starts blowing the other way, and it's on our back. And um, so. If you end up in a situation like that, especially if you 're walking out of camp it 's not a big deal. Stay with it at your back, make sure that you 're walking with the wind at your back. Call to the sides, call to the peripherals that way, if you did do get a uh, you know get a call back to you, now you can actually circle and come back into that wind. So all is not lost just because the wind's at your back doesn 't mean everything in front of you, one hundred and eighty degrees on each side, is smelling you
2: so yeah, the uh, the uh, scent won't disperse like this. It's going right. disperse like that.
1: And then it starts going up with the thermal, right. especially if uh-huh. it's a
2: morning heat. So
1: um, it starts getting raised up. Um, the wind was swirling. You know, I, I hear that one all the time. You know, gosh, I was in there, couldn't find anything. The wind was swirling. Well, that happens. The only way you can mitigate that is by staying parallel to the thermals. If you do that, you know, and what I mean is, if the wind, I'm sorry, if the thermals and the morning thermals are coming up, then you want to stay off to the side of those thermals when you hear an animal, when you've got an animal that's talking back to you. So you want to get at the level of that animal uh, and keeping that thermal parallel in front of you and hopefully trying to keep the wind in your in your direction. That's um. That is something that is my favorite technique. I never like to trail behind animals going up a hill. I always try to get off to the side, to the downwind side of them, so that if the thermals change, they're, my sense not going direct to them, plus it puts me at their level when I'm going up. Um, oh, it, this is a, a huge uh, excuse I hear. I can never get a clear shot, you know. Uh, and... If that's happening, y'all, you need to reevaluate your setup. This is lesson time now. If if you're not getting a clear shot, then you're probably not setting up in front of trees, uh, in front of the trees and brush in a spot with multiple shooting lanes. That's the first thing. As soon as I have an animal that I think is coming into me, the first thing I like to do if I'm by myself if I'm by myself the first thing I'm going to do is from the area I just called i'm going to move up 20 yards and 20 to thirty yards and I'm going to move downwind okay twenty to thirty yards because that bull is generally going to try to come in and, and circle around and you. circle around you so it puts you in a position that Now you're either going to be close to them to get that shot when they circle or they're going to circle on the upwind side of you, even a better situation in that one. So make sure as soon as you hear that animal, man, you know, check your setup. Are you in front of everything? Um, uh, Do you have multiple shooting lanes from the direction that animal's coming? I look everywhere to start to figure that out, okay? If I'm not by myself and I'm hunting with chav, well – then what I want to do is I tell him right away I move you up, yeah, right?
2: Move over, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so he's getting up, I slide back, and I get further back from him. And now I'm actually trying to pull that animal by him, and it worked so well last year that um, the bull I shot actually came into his upwind side and kept coming into me. So right, so <laughs> didn't expect that one to happen like that um what's another excuse that you know out there
2: well you know um a lot of people say well the bulls aren't hot so they're not they're not speaking you know at all you know and I, you know so you know if they're if they're not responding to your cow calls you know don't call call you know try uh using uh different types of, of uh, L, uh bull calls right to try and get them in
1: yeah, because it really depends on the time of year, too. Right. So there's different variables as to when that happens. When people say the bulls aren't hot yet, that's generally early season. It's before the equinox. And, you know, then you've got to work on those elk in pre-rut mode um, when the bulls are still measuring each other up. So start using those bull noises. Start using those bull mews uh, when you're doing that as well. Use some of those. Uh, you know, raking is tremendous during yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. Um, because bulls now are still trying to determine their pecking order. So, you know, if, if they're not hot yet, does not mean that they can't be killed. Um, If you start acting like a bull, then especially if it's, Right when they're just starting to get their cows, or when they've just even in if they have heard of their cows, if they're not responding, that if you start acting like a bull, making those bull noises and sound like a bull that has a cow in heat or is tending to his cows, now it's going to be other bulls, all those satellite bulls either wanting to come in with you or wanting to be with you because it's of that bachelor group mentality, so in that situation you're you're not going to know what size bull is coming in but uh you're you'll get them coming in
2: yeah when they're uh uh sparring in their and their quest for the to get into that pecking order right you know they'll spar you know lightly but if you can get one agitated you know breaking a tree and stuff like you did last year right i mean he's coming in hot not necessarily you know looking for a cow but to see who the challenger is so uh, you know
1: Oh, so that was a good point that I was going to bring up a, a, about the rut. Uh, one of the biggest <clears throat> excuses, and I, I had mentioned it before, and I was going to put there. One of the biggest excuses I hear is the rut is late, okay? Um, so the, the animals aren't sounding off. So first of all, um, understand something, guys, that, the rut is not a statewide, it's not a unit-wide, it's not an area phenomenon. So, in other words, a lot of people think of the rut as this general thing that's
2: supposed to happen. Yeah, like from this state to this state, Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the rut, and that's it.
1: And, yeah, and, it, and it's going to happen through the entire state. <laughs> right. Right? So, it's like, well, it's time for the rut, so every bull is going to be rutting. And that's not the way it happens. It The rut is initiated by whenever a cow comes in heat. so. Elk can be rutting in one drainage, and just right over the ridge, you can have a group of elk right there that aren't rutting because there hasn't been any cows that have come in heat yet. So uh, that can happen, and and we always talk about, you know, uh, when we're guiding, we say, yeah, i got a rut over in such and such canyon, or I've got a rut happening up here on top of the mesa. And, And generally, when that happens, when one cow comes in heat, uh, that cow is going to be in heat for about 14 hours. And a lot of times um, one cow coming in heat can trigger other cows to come in heat as well. So that's just something to, hmm. to remember when that happens out there. Uh, but understand that it happens in different areas. Uh, but even if animals, if they were late on the rut – Elk can be taken in early season, in pre-rut. They can be taken in peak rut, post-rut, and late season. So there are strategies to kill these animals at all these times. You just have to change your strategy. Don't make an excuse. You know, it's just like that unicycle thing like I, I told you about. You know, you, you just have to think of a way to overcome. You have to think of things to be able to do something instead of make excuse as to why you couldn't do it. Okay, so um, th- that's a big one. Uh, and along with that, when they talk about animals not uh, being in the rut yet, they always talk. They say bulls are coming in silent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, so my answer to that is: if you got bulls coming in silent, good, they're coming in.
2: You know, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right? Yeah, you just got to be aware. Right. You know, you know, know where the where the winds at. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you had heard of a previous uh, bugle, uh, they may be coming in just to see check you out. So, uh, which, which will happen aware, a right?
1: ton, right? Uh huh. We'll get that one response, and we'll actually start working towards that response. Never get another peep, and you look up, and that bull's coming in.
2: Right. Yeah. You know? Happened several times.
1: Because what happens is, is that bull is not. I mean what they were doing is they were being verbal they were saying yeah I'm here they're they're being um social uh it's a location bugle basically they're they're not they're not being aggressive and so they don't want to engage necessarily it might be early to where they're not really interested that much in cows uh they don't want to be aggressive they're still in that bachelor mentality but they're coming in because they want to be social right so when you hear that one response and you start to call to that response, man, use your eyes and use your ears. Generally, one of our techniques that we love to do is we love working through an area using some of those mews, and I tell the guys, I'm looking ahead, and we each assign each a, a person to look to another side because they're going to be coming in from the side or right from the front, and we just want to spot them first, and we've killed a lot of animals that way.
2: Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah and a lot of times they say well I just can't pull that herd bull off his cows you know what do I do
1: yeah you know? yeah so um kind of depends if if you're wanting to kill that herd bull then now it's stalking time um but if you're like like us I just live to call so one way that you can try there's a couple ways you can actually try to pull that that herd bull off um Number one is try to call his cows off. And what I mean by that is you act and sound like another dominant bull that's not challenging that bull, but is trying to pull those cows, trying to display for those cows, you know, raking branches, using the the, the glunking, the low guttural noises, things that are kind of like you saying, hey, hey. Girl, I'm over here, and that'll tick him off. You know, now that's one way to get him off. Another way is for you to act like you have a hot cow, Um, because that herd bull that is with those cows right now, he might be with cows, and we have seen this several times. He might be with those cows, and if none of those cows are in heat, he's just tending him, and he hears another bull that sounds like they have a hot cow he knows where his are are at, so he will leave, and he's like, well, I'm going to go get and breed that hot cow and then come back to mine. So he's going to go in, figures he can, you know, beat you off of your cows or try to take that hot cow from you and breed that cow. Uh, So that's another option that you have for that.
2: Right, and there's a lot of hunters that, uh, you know, that, you know, you run into that uh, haven't seen anything, and they when another excuse they use is, well, we had a full moon, so the, the elk ate, all, ate or fed all night long and disappeared as soon as daylight appeared. Yeah. So how would you hunt, though?
1: Well, so guys, <laughs> you, you've heard us already now. You, you've heard us say some of these things. So you have somebody that says that there's a full moon. You heard, Chav, the elk are feeding all night during, uh, during the full moon. and So what do you do? Man, if I know they're out there in the full moon, then I'm going to go out and night bugle or I'm going to be out there 3 a.m. and finding those elk out there at night. Mm-hmm. Um, we have even gone out and stayed with the herd. Um, we, so we we slept down in a lower drainage knowing that the animals were going to cross above us. And with the thermals coming down that... We were going to be able to reverse their tactic. We could smell them. So we actually slept in the bottom of this drainage, It's just on the ground. You remember right. that, right? Yep. And uh, about 11 o'clock, I caught the smell of those elk uh, with those thermals coming down. Got up. We got up. Sure enough, we found those animals within 800 yards. We shadowed the herd all night long in the moon. We slept when they stopped. We moved when they moved. And we were on them right at daylight. Right. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, But again, you know, that is that mentality. That's that unicycle mentality that, that I was telling you guys about, you know, relish that challenge, you know, make progress and find a way. Okay. Um, another excuse that, uh, that I hear from people all the time is, uh, my hunting partner can't call worth a squat.
2: <laughs> that, that is I. <laughs> no <it's
1: not. laughs> uh, So so here here's what you can do. You you can make him or her the cameraman. <laughs> yeah, got a camera. <laughs> uh can they cook? Oh, we got our cooks. <laughs> yeah, we got our cooks. <laughs> or you can use them as bear bait. <laughs>
2: Possibility. Nail me to a tree.
1: <laughs> no, so uh you know, what we try to do here, guys, is we try to give you some, some things to think about. And our, our biggest point is that, you know, don't let other people's thoughts of you being successful uh, contain what you're going to do. You know, uh, do the things, listen to all of the, the podcasts we've done on confidence, on the different areas, how to prepare yourself, get yourself ready in that, and uh, keep learning. You know, you do that, then you are not going to be on the bad end of the statistic. Uh, You are the person that's going to control what you do. So um, on our next show. Uh, we're going to head to our Elk Bros mailbox for our topic of the day, and we're going to give answers to our listeners' questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so remember, if you have questions that you want answered on the show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's I N F O at elkbros.com. If you like what we're doing, guys, please, please review. And I put that first. Please review. Subscribe to uh, our podcast and rate us, please. Uh, You have to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review. And you can always check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. If you go there join our camp. You'll be in the know. Uh, You'll get any kind of information. I think we even did last week, we did a grinders uh, email, which is basically, we call it our grinders bargains. When we hear of certain things out there, we send that out. So to help people get some bargains on some things, again, not from any sponsors. These are just things that I find out there online. So uh, you'll get that if you're in the know. So
2: that's a Yeah. If you go to elkbros.com, I've written several stories of several of the hunts that we've yep. had, and you'll find some tips in there that we may not have already told you. Sure. But it might reinforce something. So, awesome. Uh, keep that in mind.
1: Cool. So from Chad and myself, keep dreaming the dream, keep grinding to make it a reality, and most of all, don't forget to share it with the people you love. So, laters, guys. Hey, have a good week.